Gee, I wish I could sing another verse. Okay. <laughs> Good morning. We are glad you are here with us. Um, we are continuing our series, Wisdom of a Good Life. And as we begin, we are going to continue in our congregational memory verses. We have our deacons who are reading that for us. Dave is going to uh, be presenting that to us. I also wanted you to note that there is a big board out front with a big shield and the verse is on the wall. We're taking our time with this one. It's a little bit longer section of scripture, but keep chipping away at it. Uh, there's also on that board, you will notice some cards that are available and uh, sticky notes. If you want to look and fill out some of the things that you do in your life to help put on that armor of God, you have an opportunity to do that. And uh, so take advantage of that. And there's, uh, there's uh, swords and armor and battle equipment for the kids there, if you've noticed. And so uh, I saw a pitched battle this morning. So... Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the devil day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Thanks, Dave. So, October 1st, I think, is uh, University of Oregon opening starting date. And so uh, we just have a quick greeting from our Sequoia people. They have all kinds of welcome activities going on. So uh, if you have a chance to plug into some of that, you are most welcome. They did a great job putting this all together. They're going to be very busy the next couple of weeks, as we can see. But I just thought it would be good for uh, Jonathan or Kirk to give a quick greeting to the congregation. Hi, congregation. I'm Jonathan. <laughs> and just... We'll be brief, but I actually wasn't a Christian until after college. It was literally two months after I left college, and I had this big fire and wanted to reach out to all my college friends, and it was just so hard because we could barely even find a time to meet. And if you're a student or if you're going to be a student, you'll be in a really awesome situation where you're going to be surrounded by people all the time who... You're trying to find your purpose together, and then a lot of you, when you graduate, will barely see them after that. And we just really want to encourage everyone to make the most of that situation, and just we're here to help, and so we are available for anyone with any needs, and 
we do lots of stuff. Um, hey, I'm Kirk. I'll just be one second. But uh, yes, yeah, so we have our service on Sunday night. That's kind of our main uh, main thing. And then throughout the week, we also host um, prayer time um, at our apartment. And uh, we do game nights, movie nights, all that good stuff. And um, so, and as you can see, we're going to be having a lot of stuff. Um, so just be in constant prayer about that. We would really appreciate that. And, uh, and thank you so much to everyone who brought food today. Um, we are just super, super appreciative of everyone and just um, how awesome uh, this congregation is. So, so, so thank you for everyone for doing that. All right. Aren't we happy, church, to have these people here? <laughs> Praise God. The Lord just put that in the lap of this congregation. We're excited to see what he does with all of that. To God be the glory. Okay, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So as we jump into this, this uh, topic of wisdom again, I want to begin by talking about some of the value of wisdom as the scriptures present it, present it to us. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs you all, your ha all you have, get understanding, from Proverbs chapter 4. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And he will make your paths straight. So just in these couple verses, the scriptures affirm that wisdom, it protects. Wisdom, it guides. Wisdom helps us overcome obstacles that come to us in life because it helps make a straight path for us to navigate. And although the cost of wisdom may seem high to us at times, it's not nearly as high as the cost of ignoring wisdom, is it? So there is a cost that is associated with forsaking wisdom from Proverbs 5. At the end of your life, if you don't have wisdom, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. Wisdom has a lot of teachers and a lot of instructors. And if you don't make wisdom your friend, if you don't seek ways that you can learn wisdom, apply it to your life, uh, life is going to be a lot harder, frankly. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields, yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life are in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. So, if this is the value of wisdom, and we recognize the value of wisdom, how do we obtain wisdom? We talked about that a little bit last week. What are the sources 
of wisdom that are available to us. Well, God is the source of wisdom. The kind of wisdom that you need, God has it. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And God's wisdom is so good that no matter what, it's better than anything else you have. 1 Corinthians, Paul says these words, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Everything he has is better than anything you can have or anything in this world can come up with apart from him and on its own. And then there's this curious verse from uh, Colossians chapter 2. Beautiful. And this in its own way affirms the divinity of Jesus Christ. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have full riches, the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all, not some, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God is the source of all the wisdom and knowledge that we need. That is made available to us in Jesus Christ. You want to know what wisdom is? You look at the life of Jesus Christ. You do the things that Jesus did. Wisdom comes with age and experience. We sometimes think of wisdom as the application of knowledge that we've gained over time. Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? I hope that this is the case. You know, even our own mortality, that we have a certain number of days, it's limited, we don't know exactly how many we'll get. If we think on that and reflect on that, it actually can be a teacher of wisdom for us as well. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then Ephesians chapter 5 says, Be very careful how, they, how you live then. Uh, how you live not as unwise but as wise, making the, most, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So wisdom comes with age and experience. Wisdom also comes from righteousness. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast in their strength, or the rich boast in their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Who does he delight in? The one who seeks him, the one who yearns for him, the one who acknowledges him. Wisdom comes from righteousness. I think this verse in Hosea that I found also illustrates this. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The way, the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. So this heart of rebellion, rebellion against any authority, rebellion against God, it's going to chafe against His commands. But to the teachable heart, to the teachable spirit, they will walk in His ways and they will 
They will gain greater wisdom, greater understanding. So as I talked about last week, wisdom, it comes from a teachable spirit. Having a teachable spirit, having, having humility, being able to be a learner, that is so crucial for the disciple of Jesus Christ. Without it, we won't have the fruit that we need to have in our lives. We, we will stumble in places we shouldn't be stumbling. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We need to constantly ask this question in our lives then. Do you have a teachable spirit? When godly advice is given to you from people who love the Lord, how do you hold that? There's no doubt that when, when, when people criticize or when words come, we have to discern, is this legitimate or not? And there's some things that we have to just dismiss. But from the godly, from the words uh, of the Lord that He gives us from the Scripture, do you have a teachable spirit? What in you bucks against that yoke? What in you keeps you from having a teachable spirit? That's a good question to sit with. I think wisdom, this is a subset of this, wisdom comes through the willingness to appear foolish or appear like a learner. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. Now, this is the wisdom of God. It's its own thing above and beyond the wisdom of the world. But there's a process that comes to us. And we get into a lot of trouble when we are just, we have to pretend we feel like, like we know things that we really don't know. And we do this all the time. Like in academic circles when I'm doing stuff. Uh, uh, have you read this book? Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with such and such dusty old scholar from, you know, back when there. Oh yeah, I've heard of him, I think. Oh, that sounds vaguely familiar. And wisdom, true wisdom, is not so much concerned about managing an, I an image as it is coming to true knowledge and understanding that you can apply to life. It's so important that you have this sense of humility. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. You see the, the difference in these two hearts. One has a teachable spirit, and one does not. But someone who has made wisdom their friend, someone who treats, truly seeks understanding, someone who is okay to appear as a learner. When you don't know something, it's okay to own that. 
And you can ask questions instead of just appearing like you know something you really don't know. If you have that kind of teachable spirit, if when words of wisdom come from Scripture, come from other uh, wise sources, you can discern that. You can discern maybe the intent that comes behind words to you. Is it just based on their own hurt? Are, they just, are there own issues with you? Or is there a kernel of truth to what they're saying? But really pay close attention to the person who loves the Lord. Pay close attention to those words. And those words aren't always easy that could come to you in, their, in your life. But if you have a heart that values wisdom, you love to get those words. I, I don't claim to have gone very far in this, but when someone offers me criticism that I think is founded and just, and there's wisdom in those words. I love that person. If you have a teachable spirit, you will value wisdom in whatever ways it comes to you. For me, that comes a lot of different places. I've got all these theology degrees, and sometimes just the unlearned uh, words of someone would just be like, you know what, they're right, and I'm a dummy. You know, and it, it just kind of... My wife is good at this with me in my life. A lot of wisdom comes to me through my wife. If you have kids, you'll discover as your kids grow that, you know, they're in the, they have their own ideas and their own things, but wisdom will come out of their mouths and it'll challenge you. And unless you have a heart and a, that is willing to accept it, unless you have a teachable spirit, you can just kind of be... Do the Heisman, you know, maneuver to those words when they come your way. But wisdom, wisdom, it comes through a humble heart. So I was going to move on to relational wisdom some this morning, but uh, there's so much, the vast treasures that are available to us in the Scriptures. I just kind of am wrapping up some more with wisdom and the way we use and manage our wealth this morning. Proverbs 10, 15, and 16 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked brings them punishment. This means that the way you steward your resources, the way you use your resources that you're given in your life for your family or for your children, uh, your resources can be a source of security and comfort for you. But for the person who is wicked, for the person who is foolish, even the way they use their money, it just adds to the brokenness of whatever the situation is. It can add to the selfishness, the dysfunction, the isolation, and the addiction. That difference is a heart of wisdom. But we all know that wealth itself has its own limitations. The author of Proverbs says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Jesus moves us as well beyond the wisdom of accumulation into a consideration of the kind of treasure that we are building up. 
So it's good to have wealth. It's good to rely on that for things. It's like a fortified city to those who are righteous. But also the wise of God know that there are limits to what our wealth can do and the security and comfort that it can provide. And Jesus moves us to this place of consideration of the kind of wealth that we are accumulating. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I don't think that is in any way a condemnation for the wisdom of, of saving and accumulating and planning for retirement and things like that. But it is crucial it's giving us a priority, isn't it? Seek ye first the, the security of your 401k, and then the kingdom will be added to you as well. That is not the order of priority. The order of priority is all of those things that you can be leveraged by our, our, our resources to do the work of the kingdom. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. That is the priority for the disciple of Jesus Christ. The way we store up treasure in heaven is by investing in relationships. It's by investing in works and agendas that advance the kingdom of God. And a lot of times for us in the church here is we do that by investing our time and our money and our service to the congregation. And that is the way that we give to God. So I want to say a few words about specifically about our, our offerings that we give to the Lord. We need to have intentionality and planning in giving back to God. We may profess that everything we have belongs to the Lord. Everything that Calvin has, it belongs to the Lord. But living that as a reality is a difficult and another thing. So I'm going to talk a couple minutes about games that we play in our giving back to the Lord. Games we play in our giving. The first strategy, spread it out. Spread it out. Not that spreading it out is bad, but... There's, a certain, there's two things that I want to point out in, with this. In some sense, you have not relinquished control of resources because you still want a full say in exactly how this is used for that, and, and I want to control this in some way. I want to leverage this to get something out of this. Uh, I don't trust these people enough to give them more than this. And So I'm not saying don't spread it out. I'm just saying consider ways that you're playing games with this. Sometimes uh, we could say that to someone. Well, our, our offering, we give to different things, and we give, and it becomes like this smoke screen, so nobody knows, including yourself, exactly what you're giving to anyone or anything. You know in your heart if you are playing that game. Another game we play is, I can't meet the standard. So a lot of times people will say 10% is that standard. Are there, you know how much 10% is and how tight things are? And I can't meet that standard. So when we say that in our minds, do you meet any standard at all? 
That needs to be a question that we, we ask ourselves too. I can't give 10%. So essentially, because I say I can't give 10% of my income, I don't make a plan to do anything. I don't change anything. I don't have an agreement with the Lord. I don't have anything that I'm, I'm shooting for. If you can't do 10%, do 5%. Have you considered that? You can't do 5%, do 3%. 3% off the top regularly to the Lord. Learn that discipline. I think the average giving is just barely over 2% of Christians' incomes now across the nation, across denominational lines. So when we think we can't meet this standard, the standard's too high, uh, if we don't make a plan to do anything, it's okay to make a plan with the Lord, argue with Him about it, do something, figure out something. It's okay to spread things out. I'm just saying, be aware of what you are doing and ask yourself in your heart of hearts, am I honoring the Lord with this? Or am I trying to manage an image? Am I trying to have a say over these resources acting like they're mine and not his? And another one is I give cash. Uh, I, I love this idea of cash in the envelope. And uh, uh, it's kind of this Dave Ramsey thing. that You pay for, for these things. It's different when the cash is out of your hands. So you, I, I give my contribution in the cash. And you can kind of use that as its own smokescreen. You hide what you're actually doing by just, and all the money that goes into the cash, you know, all that adds up. It's not 10% of one person even, and it's just kind of, I'm just saying, ask yourself, is this a game that I play? It's okay to give cash. That's great. It's wonderful. But do you have a hard number that you've set in your mind and you dedicated to the Lord? And you follow through with that. That's another question you need to ask yourself. And then another game we love to play is, what about so-and-so? I know so-and-so is sitting on a pile of money. I know so-and-so is... Look at me. I've got, I've got real problems in my life. They should be the one... You've heard me talk about how toxic this game of comparing is that we play. How toxic blaming is. There's no doubt that there are people who have done very well for themselves that are not generous to the Lord and His church. That's true. But don't presume that poor people don't have a problem with greed as well. Don't make that presumption. And then there's always the what-if games. When I look at that, and I look at 10%, and I look at the numbers here, and I think about all the things I would like to do, all the things I can't do, and if you start going down that road, it's a tug on your heart. It makes the relinquishment of those resources that much more difficult. So the main thing I want to point out with all of this is make a plan with the Lord. Sit together with Him. Don't play games with this. Don't play games with it. Know the blessing of what it means to learn the discipline of generosity to God. So myself, I purposely try to know as little as I can about finances of who gives what in the church. And um, I just, I don't want to have that in my mind, you know, thinking, uh, 
oh, so-and-so is a big giver, and they're not happy about this, or, you know what, this person sure complains a lot for being such a Scrooge. You know, I just don't want those thoughts in my mind at all. Uh, because it's not your minister or your church or your elders that you're going to answer to in the end. It's to your Lord. It's to your Lord. Have you made a plan with the Lord for what you're going to do? How are you honoring Him with your resources? So there's also a mystery kind of to me, that the Scripture tells us about when you dedicate things to the Lord and when you give to the Lord. Might have to help me here. There we go. The Lord's generosity when you trust Him. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. Proverbs 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's an amazing reality of the kingdom. God takes care of His people. He provides. When you give in faith, what you get back is greater than what you... I'm not saying it's dollar for dollar. It's a bigger picture than that. It's a kingdom perspective. I'm saying the Lord will take care of you in your life. And I've had so many people... You ask, you ask elders in the church... Is this true? Have you found this to be a reality in your life? Ask someone who has lived this Christian life. They have the resources they need. That they, they love the Lord. They seek Him in all they do. Ask them if this is true or not. There are a lot of people in this room who can testify to the truth of these verses. All right, wealth is a gift from God. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good thing, the good things in your life, it's a gift from God. Deuteronomy 8, 18, But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. The resources we've been given are a gift from God, and He expects us to take some initiative and responsibility in the ways that we use them. All right, tithing versus kingdom giving. Let me just say a word about this since I'm talking about this, just kind of more uh, another consideration. In the law of Moses, the tithe was the setting aside of 10% of all that you produce and dedicating it to the Lord. Sometimes 10% has even been presented as an unspoken norm for the church. But disciples of Jesus are never commanded specifically in the New Testament to do a tithe because the tithe is an insufficient model to encompass the reality of the kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? 
I mean that sometimes 10% could be too much, and sometimes 10% cannot be enough. So whatever lines that you have drawn, whatever lines that you make, whatever numbers that you put in, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's all on the line for the Lord. Meaning that maybe 10% is too much, maybe it's not enough. What are the circumstances going on around you? How are you leveraging your resources for the advancement of the kingdom of God? You can't just give this hard number, you can't just do this thing, and you're off the hook. No. If you belong to the Lord, you constantly have to ask that question. So, uh, have you ever heard a minister get up here and say, you need to stop giving your church so much money. You guys are being too generous. Stop giving so much money. We all know the exceptions to this rule that greed is kind of the norm and we've got a reality of budgets we need and how, how that's going to happen. You see, but my, my thinking is this. You may be able to be socially pressured into giving a little bit. Guilt can be a motivator for a time. But you know who is generous to the Lord? The one who is generous to the Lord and to the Lord's works and to the Lord's people. It's the heart that's fully in love with Him. It's the heart who seeks Him. Love of God is the power that's strong enough to put all of your physical resources in their proper place. I think a lot of times churches are tempted to give in to fear, and we know it's hard sometimes because we live in a post-Christian culture. Eugene, Oregon is a poster child for post-Christian culture. Attendance is shrinking. The level of commitment is declining. The new generations that are coming behind us, they are much more sporadic in their giving. They're much more generous in their giving, much less generous in their giving. The church of Jesus Christ has never been as strong as it was when it was poor. Sometimes churches have gotten caught up in a lot of folly over a concern of wealth. But the reality is, the disciple of Jesus Christ who is in fully in love with the Lord, who longs for the presence of the Lord, from that person's heart flows an endless stream of generosity that will always be there to bless the people of God. Whatever the form takes, whether they have a brick and mortar or not, the heart that loves the Lord will always be available to the people of God. So my thinking is, for, as for a church, how do we move deeper into love and trust of the Lord? That's the crucial question for us. Because that's not just a finance question, that's an all-of-life question. The heart that loves the Lord, it changes everything, does it not? So I was thinking about ways to, <coughs> excuse me, illustrate this. And uh, there's this great movie scene. It's a, I don't even know if I recommend it because it's so hard to watch the movie Schindler's List. At the end, uh, uh, this German businessman who has ransomed these people 
uh, Jews out of a Nazi concentration camp to work in his factory. He gives bribes to do this. And at the end, there are all of these Jews who would not be alive except for this man's uh, generosity, Schindler. And so in the scene that is put together in the movie, uh, they thank him. And he takes that thanks. They give him this gold ring and from, with a verse from the Talmud and stuff like that. He takes their thanks, but then he begins to break down because he begins to see, he says, you don't know how much money I've wasted. You don't know all the wealth. And he becomes distraught over it. He can hardly take it because he knows that that car he's sitting on the bumper of, that would have saved ten people. This pin, it's made of gold. I could have gotten one more for that. One or two, maybe. One or two. When we meet our Lord, are we going to feel like that? All the ways that we play games, all the ways that we take care of ourselves, all the ways that we lack, we, we lack the wisdom to realize what's true and lasting and meaningful. Have we realized the ways we can leverage the resources God gives us now in ways that are going to build the kingdom of God and build love and build relationship? We take small steps in that direction. When you meet your Lord, you will not be ashamed of your attempts at generosity, at your attempts of giving, your attempts at trust. But do you have those kind of eyes to see? The scripture talks about secrecy in our giving. Secrecy is not letting your left hand know what your right hand are doing. It's a, it's a further way that we humble ourselves with the Lord. Because not only do we relinquish control of resources in secrecy, we preclude any possibility of people knowing that we've done this. They don't see my generosity. They don't see the good things. I'm not going to get praised for this. I'm not going to... I'm not saying that all giving has to be strictly in secret. But that's also just a wisdom, a wise thing for us to do. Secrecy in general, uh, with your service, with your donations, with it's a level of humbling yourselves where no one sees and you're not going to get any potential benefit or kickback from this. But it's only the Lord who will know. It's not always a comfortable place to be, but it's a good place because a lot of wis wisdom grows out of that place of secrecy and relying on the Lord. So as I ended last week, so I say that question to us again, is are you leveraging your financial resources for the work of God's kingdom? And part of our journey of sanctification is learning to trust God enough that we put our life resources on the line for the kingdom of God as our first priority. <clears throat> so in this church... You know, we have to ask questions about this sometimes, too. The good works that we are a part of. Uh, there's a lot of generous people in this church doing a lot of good work. 
just so you know, we would love as a congregation to continue to expand our giving toward missions, missions and evangelism. We support the Ashcrofts a little bit. We support a few other good works a little bit. We would like to be more intentional about our giving in that direction. Charities and works of compassion. Church of Christ uh, Disaster Relief or uh, Healing Hands International. There's different uh, uh, charitable giving opportunities for uh, orphan care ministries of a lot of different kinds. Alicia and I are going to spend some time in Tanzania for the next couple weeks. So we'll be away and you'll be blessed with other speakers and a break from uh, Calvin laying it out for you. <laughs> but we started an orphan care ministry there. There are good works that we can give to. There are good things that we can do to leverage our resources for the kingdom of God. Think about the ministry of this local congregation. You know, I am, I am a minister of this church. Your generosity feeds my family. That's something you can be proud of too. Because I'm trying to serve the Lord with everything I've got. We would love to have, maybe as we grow, other ministers. We've been given this Sequoia team. How do we support them? When we trust in the Lord, He will show us what we need to be doing with this. He will help us learn wisdom to stop playing any games that you're playing and show you the next step of stepping out in faith. We've been put here in this time and this place and given a job to do. As we learn what that means, as we learn discipleship, as we learn a generosity of spirit and as we learn to love each other better, I don't know how far the Lord will take us. I don't know how much of the Spirit's glory He will reveal to us. But I know he's going to use us for his kingdom purposes. If we trust in him more, he's going to show us the way to do that. So however these words come to you or strike you this morning, as you know, we offer an invitation every week. If you need the prayers of this church, if you want to put on the Lord and baptism, whatever needs you have, you have an opportunity to share those with me. You can come forward as we stand and sing together.